listening to Open Science Talk, the podcast about, well, open science. This is episode 12, and today we are talking to one of the big ones, the publishing company Wiley. Our guest today is Alice Wood, Senior Publishing Development Editor at Wiley, which is a global publishing company with over 5,000 employees that specializes in academic publishing. Alice Wood, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. So uh, it's a great honor to have a publisher here. Could you just explain uh, what is Wiley and uh, what are you currently working on? Sure. So Wiley is a publisher that has been around for over 200 years. So we've been here a long time. Um, We publish journals and books. Uh, We publish trade books too. So we published for dummies. Um, but I work within the journals side of the company, what we call research. And we publish around 1700 journals in total. So we're around third publisher in terms of number of journals. Um, a hundred of those are open access, fully gold open access and 1300 have the hybrid option. So we've We've been involved in open access publishing since 2011. It's when we first launched our fully gold, um, first fully gold journal. Um, but the hybrid option has been available on many of our journals for, for much longer than that. So do you see that number uh, increasing uh, in the future? Yeah, absolutely. So what, one of the things that my team does at, at Wiley is um, we look at proposals for new open access journals, um, but we also look at transitioning some of our hybrid journals to the open access model where appropriate. So um, so w- what are the obstacles today when it comes to flipping journals? I think the biggest obstacle um, is when you have almost all of our journals have authors from all over the world. So although open access and gold open access in particular, where an author pays an APC or somebody pays an APC, um, that's still very much a European or or a global North um, model. And many of our journals get papers from, from all over the world. So it's how do we transition our journals to that model without disadvantaging authors, for example, from the global South? Um, how do we come up with models that work for them? Uh, but also we are a commercial publisher, so we need to um, come up with models that are also sustainable for, for us. So uh, the commercial publishers uh, get a lot of criticism in the open access community. Um, uh, what's your take on this? Yeah, we do. Um, I think what I'd like to get across really is that we do work, we do, we are part of the community as well. So we are commercial publishers, but we're also mission driven. There was a statement at the conference this morning about being either mission driven or for profit. And I think you can be both. I'm, I'm absolutely not denying that we are for profit because we are, um, but we're also, we are mission driven and we do believe in advancing knowledge and, and disseminating knowledge as, as widely as possible. So, um, we have an open access team within Wiley and, and many of our other colleagues work with open, with the open access community in different ways. And we're part of those conversations. So with plan S, um, we'll be feeding into the into the feedback consultation period that's happening now. We have people in Brussels doing um, what we call the Brussels door knocks. So we have colleagues that are actively involved in the communities, including the OA community. Okay, so so what's the most important thing for you uh, when it comes to lobbying in uh, Brussels? I think it's making sure that um, the move to open access or the, the developments that are happening are things that 
we can are things that are reasonable, you know, we think they're reasonable. Um, it's not all about profit. <laughs> so it's, it's finding ways of, as I said, for example, if, if everything that we published transitioned to, to gold OA in 2020, then there would be a lot of people that would be disadvantaged by that as well as advantaged. So it's finding the right balance and making sure that it's something that we can help deliver. But, but do you understand um, a lot of the criticism that, that uh, goes on to to the tall based um, uh, subscri- subscription based uh, journals and and the buying back of of uh, of the access for for these journals? Um, I do, or we do, I should say. Um, we do try to mitigate for those. Um, so double dipping is the name that we use for that. We do try to mitigate for that in that when we have a hybrid journal those open access papers are published in addition to the papers that we would have published anyway for the subscription price. So, And where we see a big shift in a hybrid journal towards open access or the proportion of open access, we do modify our prices to reflect that. Um, so we do, um, yeah. But but um, do you see how your, your company is, is set up? Do, do you see it changing in the future? There's definitely... Um, I said before, I think we're open access, the transition to open access that we're talking about in things like Plan S is a big change, but it's not, it's something that we're embracing, I would say. We we definitely would embrace open access as a company. Um, We need to make it work for our authors and and our stakeholders. So not just shareholders, but all of our stakeholders involved. Um, But we, yeah, it's a change that we're embracing. And I think that there has been a recognition of that recently. Will we also see change in in how you you then make deals with uh, with libraries and and other people who buy your products? Yeah, I think we're seeing a lot more demand for national level deals, for example, at the moment. So instead of um, the deals, and I can't talk about the details of those, unsurprisingly, but the it, the conversation seems to be moving away from libraries in that respect into a national level, particularly here in Europe. Um, so that has changed changed things, and I hope that that would mean that some for some of the barriers that we've had before have been that there's no funding in in certain disciplines. So if we were to make a deal at a national level, then that might change the dynamic of of not just having open access in the life and the health sciences, but actually a much wider range of disciplines that can benefit from from open access. But but you recognize some of the demands that that are being uh, put forward in in these discussions. Yeah. yeah. Um. So um. Uh, so how do you see uh, Wiley in the future um, when it comes to open access? Yeah, I think um, there's a recognition that more of our journals will become open access. Um, we like to think uh, more broadly than open access too. So into open science or open research, as we are trying to call it, because open science can be inclusive, it kind of exclude some disciplines too. So I think what we're looking at, um, as well as the open access side that we've talked about, is how we can support authors throughout that whole process. So whether that's with open peer review, transparent peer review, through to data um, policies that we have on all of our journals now, a policy. Um, It might not be very strong policy on some, but it's really trying to help um, researchers to do their research and then to get it um, disseminated. So um, uh, when it comes to journals, uh, what's your experience with flipping? What happens uh, with uh, the journals uh, that are being flipped? 
Do they yeah. get more citations? Do they get less citations? Uh, what happens? Sure. So we flipped. Um, I, I mentioned earlier that we now have around 100 OA journals. 18 of those that are currently open access started out as hybrid or subscription journals. And we're flipping another seven with effect from January 2019. So we'll have 25 of just over 100 journals by then that will have flipped. Um, our experience has been mixed in terms of what happens next. So um, sometimes we see a drop in submissions when we flip. And I think that's not a big surprise. You know, when you start, you change the business model and you you start to charge authors or their funders. Um, but that's not always the case. So some journals, we've actually seen their submissions increase. And where we have seen them decrease, it tends to be from the global south. So um, we're working or we're trying to think of ways that we can can we can do this transition without disadvantaging them the citations thing is an interesting one um we certainly see a lot more downloads so a lot more usage for open access titles that's undeniable um i've read a lot of research recently about open access having higher citations um i don't have any data on wiley journals and where that's happened but i think it's logical that 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 would happen. So I think if you're going to, if you're doing your research and you have 10 possible papers that you can read and, and some of them are open access, even if you have access to the subscription ones, it's actually so easy to read the open access ones that I can see why they would be more highly downloaded and cited. Um, it's interesting in different parts of the world too, what the motivations are for open access. And I've certainly this year come across um, in some regions and, and, with some situations that the higher citation or the potential for higher citations is a real motivating factor behind publishing open access. So for some people, much more than the extended, you know, maintaining the copyright, being able to reuse it in ways. That citation one, I think, is going to be really key in some people's decisions for for making that move to open access. It's not a reason why we flip a journal. So we don't flip one because, oh, it will get more citations, no. but it might be a reason why an author might submit. So how do you choose what kind of journals are being flipped? Um, are you taking the ones that are most popular? Are you saving those for, for subscription? <laughs> Uh, and, and, and yeah. Yeah. Popular. It, it depends what you mean by popular, I guess. Um, the ones that we have flipped up until now have been in subject areas where we know that there is a demand for open access. Um, they may have, for example, had, um, demand for the hybrid option and we've seen that increase. So we may then at some point decide if a journal at some point has too much hybrid, then it, it basically flips itself. We haven't had too many of those, I have to say. Um, so we flip journals where, um, where we know there's a demand. We know that the model will be sustainable because that is important um, for us and for the journal. Um, Occasionally it's community driven. So a lot of, I should have said before, really, a lot of the journals that we publish, we publish on behalf of learned societies. So we're the biggest society publisher with um, almost half of our journals are, are not owned by us. They're owned by societies and they contract us to publish them for them. So some of the journals that many of the OA journals that we publish are in partnership with our societies. And so the demand comes from that side, either to flip or to launch a new journal. So, uh, but do you push for it or? Sometimes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if we, if we think it's a good, if we think it's in a really, so of the seven that we're flipping in January, one of them is a society 
um, it's linked with society. And in that case, we, um, we presented it to them as an option, but it, they were on board with it from the beginning. It wasn't that we really had to push them. They were, they could see the benefits of doing that. Um, so, uh, so do the journals stay the same when you flip them? Yeah. So what um, I'd really like to highlight is that um, when we flip a journal, the what changes is the business model. So all of the kind of editorial integrity and the quality checks that the editors do, we don't ask them to change those. In fact, we ask them to keep them the same because when we flip a journal, we want it to maintain that quality and we don't want it to be seen as being less good just because it's open access. So usually we see that the acceptance rate stays the same as before the flip. We certainly would never ask our editors to accept more just because we'll receive more APCs for it. Um, and that's that's not a business thing. That's to, to maintain the quality of those journals. Um, there are some journals where they, they do publish more after they've moved to open access. That might be because they were restricting their acceptance rate because of page budgets, for example. We have seen that, that before they could only publish 50 articles a year, but with open access, there's no limits of that kind. So so we can publish more in an open access journal, um, but we don't have to. It's, it's really a business model and the day-to-day -day running of the journal should remain the same as it was before. Um, you mentioned that uh, that uh, your company is also doing uh, uh, open other things than, yeah. than open access. Uh, what's going on there? So open data is the one that I personally know more more about. Um, we've had data policies on our journals for for a while. We're very strong in ecology and evolutionary biology. We publish around thirty five percent of research in web of science journals in ecology, um, most of which is with our society partners, but some of some of which is in journals that we own ourselves as well. And they were really a field that pioneered, I think, um, or drove, certainly drove the, the desire for open data. So we've worked quite closely on those journals with Dryad, which is a repository that that is most used in ecology and um, evolutionary biology. Um, we were, we got some feedback earlier in the year that our data policies actually weren't that clear. So between two of them, there wasn't. We have three policy, three levels of policy, um, and two of them were quite similar. <laughs> so it's basically we expect you, no, we encourage you to do it. Is the lowest, the kind of weakest, softest policy. Um, we expect you to do it, and we require you to do it. And between encourage and expect, the language that we had. There wasn't that much difference. Um, practically, there wasn't that much difference. So we worked with the Center for Open Science and we worked with um, colleagues across the business. And we've we've launched new data policies across our journals where any journal can have a data policy. Um, data means different things to different people. Um, but what is important is to have within the paper to have, for example, a data availability statement so that you can say where your data is available or contact me for this data, or there is no data available for this paper. And I think that's important. Um, that's an important step to, to roll that out to more communities. One of the other partnerships that we have is with Publons, who um, I don't know if you know you know about Publons, but we've we've partnered with them for a few years now, so that our journals are linked to Publons, and reviewers can, if they wish, claim credit on Publons to get recognition for the work that they're doing. So, um, it's we found that many reviewers were doing this already for the journals that we publish, but by integrating our systems and partnering with them, it's just a tick box that 
the reviewer just needs to tick a box and they're automatically linked within the website rather than having to go on and do it. So so there were really big things like flipping open access journal, flipping journals to open access, but there are also lots of other things that you can do to make your journals more open in the wider sense. Uh, there's a lot of talk about um, uh, publishing in subscription-based journals while uh, also publishing in, uh, in uh, archiving, self-archiving. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about that? We have always, um, we support green open access, self-archiving, whatever you want to call it. Um, we allow the submitted version of the article to be self-archived at any time. So that might be as a preprint and then you submit to one of our journals. That's that's fine. Um, we currently have embargo periods for the accepted version. So for the STM journals, that's 12 months. And for the social science and humanities journal, it tends to be 24 months. Um, that is something that I think in the plan S and in the welcome policy that came out last week at the moment, our policy doesn't align with those. So that's something that we'll have to look at and, and maybe discuss with them. Uh, so, uh, why are you doing open access at all? <laughs> what does it give uh, for you, other than that? There's obviously a demand for it, but but what is it? Um, how do you profit on it? Um, I think that it's you know, we got involved in it. Well, all publishers, many publishers, were quite resistant to it at the very beginning, and honestly thought it was something that would go away. And by publisher, that can be anyone that publishes journals. So I think some of the learned societies too. Um, sort of 20 years ago thought this is something that's not going to last. We talk about it being an overnight revolution that's been 20 years in the making. Um, But it also does meet many of our goals. I've talked about us being a mission-driven organisation. Key part of that mission is to disseminate research and open access undeniably disseminates research more widely. So it helps us to meet our philosophical goals. Um, It's... It's a new, yeah, it's a different way of, you reach a different audience or or certainly in the past, you reached a very different audience with your open access journals and and your hybrid ones. So we, it's. Would it, would it be a disadvantage uh, to not um, uh, do open access when, when other publishers are doing it? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think we're, I don't think that's the main reason why we're doing it. I think we truly believe in open access and we, we see it as an opportunity. Um, We embrace it. Um, but certainly I think it would be, it wouldn't be very sensible in the current climate to not do it anyway. I mean, I think we've started long ago enough that we're not doing open access now because of plan S. I think that will accelerate the transition to open access. Um, but it's, it's been around for a while and it's, it's something that we embrace rather than something that we fear. Alice Wood, it has been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hi, everybody. This podcast is produced by the University Library at UIT, the Arctic University of Norway. Remember to subscribe to our channel on your podcast device so you get notified whenever the next episode drops. Thanks for listening.